It is Tuesday. July 19th, 2016, right? Yep. And this is Room in the Trees, a podcast about... What is it about? Okay, let me get it. That was easy. (laughs) The following was recorded on June 28th, 2016. This is episode number 13, Social Creatures. Room in the Trees is hosted by Trent Reynolds. And me, Sabrina Harrison. Show notes, including pictures, links, video, and more for every episode can be found at roominthetrees.com. I was very pleased to see Yumi uh, show up as a our newest Patreon subscriber. Yumi is an artist who works here at uh, my studio space. So awesome. shout out to Yumi. Very grateful to her for supporting the podcast. I'm having fun making these little audio bips and bobs for the Patreon folks. Thanks, everyone, for your support, however you can. Share it, pass it on, enjoy it, and leave a review if you feel inspired by it. So the update is I've got a bike. i got a great used Schwinn bike off Craigslist for $25. I almost cried riding it today. I was so happy. I thought, I'm seeing the city. So I was biking. I went to an eye doctor's appointment. I looked up on YouTube how to actually load my bike onto the front of a bus before I before I went and attempted it because I was like, I'm going to be such a tool trying to put my bike on a bus while people waiting. And so I, and I totally showed off to the bus driver. I'm like, I looked it up online to learn and see a demonstration about how to do this. And he's like, you're an ideal passenger. Lots of people try to put their bike on and they get so discouraged, they just bike away. <laughs> anyway, so I... I learned how to do that. Let's be honest about it. And um, I mean, Ooh. I've been, I figured out a great way to print these big, my pages from the books. And I've made these kind of, they're like wall pages. And I'm, yeah, I those I really, on they look awesome. They, they're, the detail, I can't, I'm so excited about the detail, the color matching of them. So I'm a really big stickler for color matching. Um, I hate when stuff is printed too, like, high key and too bright. Or else, you know, totally too too flat. <clears throat> so, very excited about that. And people can, uh, they're easy to order. And they can choose from any of the pages or spreads from any of the books. And they can just take a picture with their phone, email it to me. Um, and, well, maybe I'll put a link or something in the show notes. Um, but it's just, it's I'm excited about it. And... My stuff is here. The, the, we'll go into further detail about that. In uh, some, but the, some stuff arrived. Six hundred pounds of stuff has arrived. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, and I'm just excited about people listening to the podcast. We're getting you know a couple thousand people listening every month, which is it's kind of wonderful and wild. To th- wonderful and wild to think about. Yeah, I, it's hard to really imagine that quantity of people listening, you know. That's it's kind of amazing. So, I remember about a year and a half ago you discovering Dan and his space and the kind of school he created and how did that all happen? It was you were so inspired by it. Yeah, I I really was. It I had just an amazing experience visiting Daniel's uh, learning center. 
And uh, maybe before I tell that story, I want to give the disclaimer that we really don't go into enough detail about what is going on at the Learning Center. We don't go into much detail about Daniel's educational history and his qualifications and the research that he's been involved in and all the programs that he's developed for for these kids. So you really should go and, um, well, look at the show notes. We'll include some videos and and some information there. But his website is franklined.com, and you should definitely go read up on on what he's doing at his uh, at his learning center. So a couple years ago, a mutual friend introduced me to Daniel um, because he thought I would be interested in what he was what he was doing at the learning center. And uh, so I visited one afternoon, and I remember walking in just kind of being amazed, not necessarily by. Um, what was on the wall or the decor or the even the teachers there it was this feeling that I had when I walked into the space of just being comfortable feeling welcome not feeling like I was out of place or the new person around or um, there was just this immediate sense of comfort and ease Uh, and I came to realize that this was a product of of Daniel of what he was him as a person and what he was able to build there so I was very impressed by what I saw at the Learning Center and um, thought a great deal about it afterward, um, but did not see Daniel after that day um, until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he showed up at my front door, <laughs> the, the front door of my new studio space, and he came to, to join a Friday evening drawing session that he had found through a flyer that I had sent to uh, to a group that he was already a member of. Um, so we made eye contact. Uh, he recognized me. I recognized him. And it was kind of this uh, amazing moment because I had no clue that he had this background in art and um, learned after talking to him for a little while that evening that he had been away from it for 13 years and only recently had returned to uh, his drawing group. And so that night, it just, it was obvious to me that he would be excellent to have on the podcast. And I'm so glad that he was willing to, to spend time talking to us. And with that, let's go ahead and listen to our conversation with Daniel Franklin. Where was your first contact with, with making art? It was really the beginning of all my learning. I was drawing and painting and creating things way before I was doing any meaningful reading or writing or math or any other formal academic thing. Um, Formal academic skills came very slowly to me and with enormous effort. I had an extraordinary art teacher, Mrs. Eleanor Meldahl, and I spent as much of my four years in high school as I could in her art room because that's where I found fulfillment and I found uh, success and um, I was always most at ease uh, in, in the art room. That just resonates so much with me and I think for you, Trent, too. Yeah. I think not only was it a place that felt like 
like I, I don't know where I found success and I felt validation and felt able to to express and but it felt like a safe social environment like uh, I'm just thinking of Mm. thinking of that class that Sabrina and I were a part of, it was a really tight-knit group, and I think in part because of the atmosphere that um, our teacher created. You know, it was a place that we could have real conversation. And One thing that comes to mind as you say that, Trenton, is how it was a place that our group, we were all doing our own thing. So it, was, it wasn't that formal. don't know if that was similar for you, Daniel, but that feeling that you, didn't, you weren't following one assignment in high school like I was learning teaching myself photography and trending or painting and there was a some people doing ceramics but there was an openness to exploration which I think led to a lot of liberation with what we were interested in there's a, a very interesting connection I just realized between what you experienced um, both Trent and, and Sabrina and I which is a charismatic teacher which is crucial my art room was what it was because of the teacher and that was the main draw and had it not had there been a teacher with whom I didn't feel a bond or a connection or didn't feel had a genuine interest in me or concern for me and a curiosity about me and and Mrs. Meldall did she she was all of those things to all students and I suspect you had a similar experience with your art room teacher. Right. Yes, definitely. And in a way, it was that experience with that teacher and one or two others who were extremely formative to me um, began to shape what became, I didn't realize it at the time, of course, what became my a career in education uh, a belief in myself as a learner, an understanding of what a really great teacher is, an understanding of how learning can be fun. These were things I learned in the art room from my art teacher and by doing art. A teacher's greatest resource is their enormous capacity for creativity. Teachers are at their best when they are being creative in their craft as a teacher, no matter what they're teaching. The more I thought about the role of creativity in generating good teaching practices and translating into significant learning outcomes for students, I began to think about people in general and about hu humans and humanity. And humans, if they're anything, they're enormously creative the things that humanity does, the marvelous things that we do in terms of science and medicine and the arts and, and, and our, our, our creative acts, going to the moon, the Apollo missions to the moon were extraordinary acts of creativity. A couple weeks ago, we had a conversation with Sabrina's dad, who's a movie director, and he was giving me some advice on... on uh, some workshops and uh, setting up a, a, a community here as you've you've seen uh, what I've what I'm trying to set up here um, and he said that he said people want to come to your workshop to be turned on they don't want to come to uh, to be fed information or uh, you know instructions 
they want to be inspired. And I think that ties into what you're saying is that we want to sense the potential, our creative potential, and that's what really invigorates us and makes us productive is when we see that we have this capacity to create. And that could be creating, uh, you know, or solving problems uh, about water purity or, or government, or, or it could be, uh, you know, just seeing the potential of making marks on a piece of paper. Yes, and, and yeah. you know, and you, you touch on another really interesting and wonderful facet of, of the topic of creativity that whenever, whenever a, a capacity is selected out for in the course of evolution, so for example, the capacity to love your offspring or your companion, um, the, that's, an, that's an inborn innate capacity that's selected for because it's, it's good for your species. It helps your species uh, uh, survive and 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 if we have if we have a innate capacity such as caring for another, we feel good when we care for another. Or if we have a capacity to do something like play, which we do, there's an instinct. All mammals engage, young mammals engage in play. There's an instinct for it, and doing it feels good. There's a reason we have that instinct. Being creative too is there are instinctive characteristics of all people to derive satisfaction from being creative, and so when we when we have this inborn, this innate capacity, something in us, we need to exercise it because it's part of who we are. And when we don't, we are stifling something. And, and a lot of, a lot of the, the disenchantment with, with life, I believe, comes from the fact that sometimes individuals don't have the opportunity to exercise something that's innate and deep within them and needs expression. And it's why providing art and art classes and opp opportunities for the arts is so essential. And the role right. of the art teacher in society is so critical and yet frequently overlooked. Art, art department budgets are among the first to be cut in, in school budgets. Um, getting, getting art education out there and, and in the world and, and, and to children who respond right. to creativity with such such vigor and, and enthusiasm and excitement. People want to feel liberated, I think, in their experience of mm -hmm. art. They don't really know that, but it, there is a sense of liberation that happens in the physicality of making. I, I really believe in the physicality of your, your whole being, your whole body being engaged in the making, you know, using your hands and... I especially think that's that's a, something that's very very much lost as you get older. Um, go ahead. I was going to say that what you just said, the physicality. Of, it reminds me of this video that I watched on on your website, Dan, Daniel, about um, oh. connection and conversation, where you were. Uh, I think the the example you were giving is a, is a, what a conversation with a new student might look like, and you had them. Um, talk about a falling star and how the falling star came in through the atmosphere and, and heated up and you had them rubbing their hands together to feel friction. And I don't know, it was just, it was like you engaging them, not just intellectually, but actually uh, 
in using their hands to actually to to feel that heat that comes from friction and um i don't know there's a physicality and and a sense of relationship between you and the and the person and the person and the world that surrounds them that i can see how that would be so much more engaging and um I don't know, provide an opening for you to really connect with, uh, with this person. There's been some exchange and some discussion and some learning because no matter what the student's knowledge level is of, of meteors or meteorites, something I know a fair amount about, so I can always elevate the level of the discussion to a level that's, there's some novel information generally coming into the conversation. And learning feels good. We have innate capacity to learn. So when we learn, we actually feel good learning. You get that satisfaction, that deep satisfaction when you learn. So suddenly a child is learning or a teen or young adult is learning something new and they're beginning to feel good. And it also allows them to feel like we have some connection now. We have a little history. And in the context of that, that history and that connection is when you can then begin to have a really uh, good conversation. So... I, I and think in, in Sabrina's workshops, I, uh, that makes me think, Sabrina, how oftentimes you'll start by, by with prompts, with uh, questions that are very specific so they cannot be re- responded to with general kind of cliched answers. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, what's your, what's your favorite memory of a, of a kitchen floor? Is that, was that one of them? Yeah, keeping it at a rhythm that keeps it you know, it kind of throws them off their game. You know, a lot of a lot of people come in with, even with chil- children, are, it's always a little bit more amazing, but um, coming in with, you know, five roads you've walked down, um, you know, your father's shoes, um, five front doors, you were, like what, and just the free writing process of that and then the sharing of that, just just the subtle ways you can sort of open and get people back down into their, their self and um, come from that place into, into the work and into their, it sort of takes them home in a way that I find very effective. One of the quotes that I was interested to talk about comes from one of uh, the informational pages on your site that says, learning is most effective when it is approached through social interaction. And we've, We've just been talking about that a little bit, but I wonder, though, if that focus on social interaction is unusual in the academic uh, world. I don't see it. I, I, like I, it sounds unusual, or that, like that, that being a focus. Is that unusual, or, or is that commonplace, you think? I think a lot of what happens in, in some educational situations is that we move away from an approach that leverages our most useful resource in learning, which is the human brain is a social organ. Mm. Uh, There's a wonderful new book called The Social Neural Science of Education by Louis Cozzolino at Pepperdine University, who explores this issue in a very beautiful way and talks about these mechanisms within humans, all humans, uh, and uh, one mechanism in particular, the the mechanism for attachment, wanting to be connected to somebody. It's an innate mechanism that starts from infancy. And 
those same mechanisms, the innate mechanisms of attachment, become the mechanisms by which we learn. And so we, we want always to be thinking about how we leverage what we already have to promote learning. And one of the most critical components is this mechanism of attachment. So getting students feeling safe and secure with their teacher is critical. And yeah. learning in the context of a social dynamic almost always is one of the most effective ways to learn, especially for children, teens, young adults, approaching education uh, as a form of social interaction. Well, it seems to me like uh, that might very well be what made me feel so at home when I visited your school and what felt so much to me like an art classroom was that comfort that I felt, the social comfort, you know, or the social safety. When I met people, they were smiling at me, they were asking me questions. When you walked around and talked to teachers and introduced me to teachers, it was obvious that you were invested in these people and knew them and were you were asking them specific questions about what they were talking about. It was like that, that social fluidity or comfort um, it didn't really matter what they were, the, the subject matter that they were talking about. There was that, uh, I don't know, that, that room created, the psychological and emotional space to, to expand. It's really interesting to me to hear you, you talk this way because uh, that very much feels what I love about art classes and hasn't been my experience as much uh, in academic classes. Do you think it's something to do with the decisiveness, Daniel's decisiveness about what he was creating in his vision for it and not being hesitant, like just a, a confidence in without, you know, kind of taking, taking charge of establishing that tone. Daniel, when you started, do you, what was it, the feeling like when you thought, I'm going to start a school? Like, do you think I'm crazy or because of your background of success of schooling that you felt extremely confident and you just were like, boom, 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 I got this. How was that from the, germination of that. Technically, we call it a learning center. We're not formally a school. It's students of all ages, from first grade through high school, seniors in high school. And I never had a plan. Um, you know, that old saying that when you look back on what you've done, it seems as if there was a marvelous plan. There wasn't. I was a graduate student at UCLA. I was very experienced in working with children, teens, and young adults with slowly emerging academic skills, especially reading and writing. I was very successful in supporting them, not only in terms of helping them become more skilled with written language, but organizational skills and time management skills and study skills and self-advocacy skills. And I was doing this by myself individually. As I got busier, I had an opportunity to add one person and then a second person. As I say, we grew here one relationship at a time. And we always put the oh, we always put the quality of the relationship above all other considerations. Because in the context of healthy relationships, people do great things. And they do yeah. them voluntarily. And the warm vibe you get uh, being in my learning center is because everyone knows they have permission to be who they are. There are no expectations. 
you notice we don't have any rules posted. We, we don't use any rewards or punishments. And remember, in the eyes of a child, a withheld reward is a punishment. And so, yes. so yes. we never, we don't use rewards or punishments. In fact, if you look at people who have very healthy relationships, they don't have a reward and punishment system. They say, if we're good to one another for two days, we'll go to dinner. <laughs> you don't, you go to dinner. You think that yeah. you're not good to each other. You are, you have a fight, you don't, you have, or you have two, two wonderful days and go, go to dinner. You do things together because that's how you foster positive relationships. And you don't foster them with rewards or punishments. You don't foster them by by being rigid and inflexible. Um, you, the, the things that we do naturally to foster positive relationships turns out to be the same things that your art teacher did and my art teacher did to create a wonderful learning environment. Which is a tremendous investment, um, not just in time and effort, but in vulnerability and in, in allowing yourself to be uh, to love, you know, I think I think is what comes down to is like to to truly invest completely in in the people in in what you're uh, what you stand for, uh, and it's hard to do. It is hard to do. I, I always keep in mind uh, a Maya Angelou quote, the great American poet Maya Angelou quote, and as she said, I don't remember what people said to me. I don't remember what people did to me, but I always remember how people made me feel. Mm. And as teachers, if we can just stay focused on that, that I want always for the students in my classroom to remem remember me as someone who was kind to them. And right. when we do that, um, Students tend to be responsive, tend to be polite, tend to care about themselves and the people around them, and tend to be the most creative and to learn the most. Because I, I try to exercise that philosophy as much as possible, that I think you see the things that you, you see in my learning center. What a pleasure it's been to be able to speak, uh, Sabrina, with you and Trent. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you and perhaps we can chat more some, sometime. I certainly hope so and thank you for, for making so much time for us. It really has been wonderful. Everybody, you need to go and visit franklined.com and learn more about what Daniel is uh, creating at his learning center. Many, many thanks to Daniel for uh, giving us some of his time. You can find show notes for this podcast at roomofthetrees.com. You can support us by subscribing at patreon.com backslash room. It really helps us reach more people if you will take a moment and rate us and uh, write a review on iTunes. My brother Brent provided music for this podcast. He can be found at soundcloud.com by searching for Venters Stag Motel. And next week, we're going to talk about stuff next week. Literally stuff. Literally 600 pounds of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys are awesome. Over and out. Talk to you later, Trent.
All right. Talk to you later. You guys enjoy enjoy some summer. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> <laughs>